Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. G'day and welcome to The Call, 10 Stocks, picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Thursday, the 13th of January. I'm Andrew Gagan. Great that you can join us. Let's introduce our experts on the show for this hour. Mark Gardner from Macro Capital and Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital. Welcome to both of you guys. Uh, Mark, inflation. Ah, what inflation? What do you make of that market reaction to those, uh, that hot number out of the States? Uh, they were expecting it overall, um, but you look, it's 30-year highs um, in inflation. Um, did a little bit of research this morning. It basically, uh, when inflation peaks, it's peaked at this level. Through, uh, this is the third time in that 30 years. The market's had a pretty rough time of it over the next, um, basically over the next sort of three to six months. So essentially, yeah, we're, whilst, it's, whilst it was expected, I, I would um, largely probably um, we'll, we'll likely see that uh, switch uh, continue out of growth into value. Yep. Well, Luke, anything you've seen then that alters your investment thesis? Um, not a great deal. I, I must admit, I've probably been leaning more towards the transitory camp than, than you know, some sort of structural inflation. I just think the longer term trends against inflation are still well and truly in place. The main three being ageing populations, the, the march on of technology and just elevated debt levels globally. We just, we, you know, global economies just can't handle interest rates up near 6 7% to, to try and match these inflation levels. So um, I must admit, you know, the, the figures have been very stubborn. I think that matches the commentary from the Fed. Um, and the thing I've found most interesting is, is, like I said, I've leaned more towards that transitory and things will work out as bottlenecks ease and things like that. But a lot of updates from companies, and, and they seem to suggest that, that a lot of these issues around logistics and shipping and supply chains, you know, they don't look like sorting themselves out anytime soon. So mm. um, interesting time ahead. I, I'd probably agree with Mark's overall, um, you know, view of the, that, that rotation from, from value to growth, or at least out of growth, whether it moves directly into value or just, you know, cash onto the sidelines as people get a bit spooked. Um, we've got a few names, you know, that are well and truly growth ones, and it's it's an interesting theme to be in right now for those guys. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, of course, we get greater greater clarity, I guess, in the states at least when we're about to enter reporting season. So, uh, some um, idea of where those companies are likely to go over the next three months at least. All right, let's get uh, stuck into it as far as stock of the day is concerned. Today, we're looking at BHP. Now, a unification deal to consolidate the minor securities on the ASX, that's coming up next week, in fact. Uh, and then, of course, the merger with its oil and gas portfolio with Woodside, uh, that gives us a pause for thought. In fact, uh, Shemavaz, seeing the following question, I'm a shareholder in both BHP and Woodside. Can you please clarify what happens to the BHP share price after the sale of their oil and gas portfolio to Woodside? Uh, what's the outlook for Woodside as a result also? And should I sell my BHP shares before the sale of its uh, oil and gas portfolio? Uh, BHP shares currently up close to 4% in today's trade. Luke, a couple of questions to get, sink your teeth into there. Yeah, there's a lot going on with BHP. Um, you know, the unification's interesting, uh, bringing the the um, London listing and, and unifying. They'll still have a, you know, on the London exchange, but... Um, There'll be a single um, legal entity, I suppose. Um, but it'll have, you know, some ramifications for the Aussie index. Their, their weighting in the index will go from about 6% to 10%. Um, you know, that's not small, and it'll be the, probably the largest business on the ASX. will overtake um, CBA and, and CSL. 
um, and, and it'll greatly shift you know, the weightings of, of um, sectors, as, as we know, a lot of ETFs and, and even some um, more active managers sort of benchmark themselves as sectors. So, so mining will then overtake financials as the largest sector on the ASX as well. So that's probably just more of interest. I wouldn't look to trade around that or, or do too much around it. Um, you know, these things, um, despite some headlines about it happening on one day, you know, algorithms and, and people have been sort of planning for this for quite a while. I don't think you'll see too much of a shake up on the market on the actual day it happens. Yeah. Um, the, the merger and to answer um, the, the, the viewer's question, um, look, it, it's an interesting one, um, merging the, the oil assets with, with Woodside. Um, having a look this morning, it looks like a decent deal. You know, it, Woodside's effectively um, issuing shares to acquire BHP's assets. Um, and if you have a look at the size of those two businesses, um, BHP's oil business is slightly bigger, but Woodside will be, um, you know, 52 to 48 of, of the merged entity. So it looks like a good deal for Woodside. BHP obviously spinning off these assets um, almost as, as orphan assets, I guess. They don't really want to go ahead with oil and gas in this new green economy. Um, so you know, from a Woodside point of view, from a Woodside holder, I don't mind it. I think it's interesting. Um, to, to answer the question about how it impacts the BHP share price, um, you know, BHP will receive shares in Woodside, which they've already said they will distribute to shareholders, you know, the, the instant they come through. So um, I had a quick look today. Their oil and gas assets were about 5 to 6% of earnings. So you may see the share price come off, you know, a bit like a special dividend. You'll see the share price come off to maybe that sort of amount, but you'll see some additional Woodside shares in your, in your um, portfolio when they mm. settle. So... Owning Woodside longer term becomes, you know, your view on oil. There's there's view, differing views on that. Um, but but looking through the Woodside presentation, yeah, they had some interesting things to say about how they're positioning themselves for the future. So I don't have a problem holding both of these stocks, and I wouldn't sell BHP just to hold Woodside yep. um, because you're not holding BHP for its oil assets. Um, okay. It's such a small part of the business. All right, so take that as a hold, Mark. Then, well, yeah, what are your thoughts on on both companies, but more specifically BHP? Uh, look, I'm in complete agreement with Luke there. Um, overall, uh, actually, we're buying, we were buying a little bit of Woodside yesterday. Um, uh, just overall, those energy assets do quite well um, in the inflationary environment, etc. So, and and that sort of switch, um, you know, that switch out of growth into value um, and inflationary environments, they they historically go okay on a sort of certain, oh, I guess you could call it a seasonal basis. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm happy to hold both overall. As Luke said, it's only about 6% um, assets there for um, by, uh, for the oil and gas. Um, and, and look, I think BHP overall, I'm, I'm still very much a hold. If anything, I'd, I'd be buying any sort of any sort of dips. Realistically, we've been um, been doing a fair bit of switching out of uh, Fortescue into BHP last sort of week or so. Uh, that Fortescue. Valuation is getting a little bit stretched at the moment, so um, and Rio's sort of lagging on those as well, in terms of the big miners. I think uh, out of those November lows, um, BHP and Rio are up half of what Fortescue is up. So, um, so yeah, look, I'm still pretty happy with it overall. Okay, I can see it. Um, it's pretty close to broker consensus around um, $46, was uh, for $47. But uh, to be honest, I, I could possibly see it. Um, you know, back above 50 at some stage this year. Um, I think there, there's been a fairly dramatic rise in the amount of shorts in, um, in the Australian BHP. It just happened to rise quite significantly around when that um, large opportunity was available between the, um, the offshore the listings and the Australian listings because of the, um, the franking discounts, et cetera, from yep. uh, Bank Foreign Holdings. So, there, uh, that may unwind and cause a little bit of a bid tone potentially. Um, I think the shorts and BHP are up around the 8% mark. They're traditionally around about the 4% mark. So there could be a little bit of buying back that needs to be done there potentially. Um, but uh, yeah, look, I'm definitely a hold on BHP okay. and, and I'd be adding any dips. All right, great. So uh, in fact, it is already in the portfolio. So BHP stays in the portfolio. All right, let's get to the stocks as picked by you. The first one, Straker Translations. Yep, it is all about uh, translations and the uh, software that they have for that. Uh, Braden wanted to know about this. In fact, uh, the company announced recently an acquisition to expand its presence in the European market, purchasing uh, IDEST, that's based in Belgium, serves international institutions such as the UN and European Commission. Mark, Straker, what are your thoughts? 
Uh, look, it's not something, it's not really the sort of business I'll be looking at getting involved with, particularly this year. Um, never really made a profit. Um, big techs diversifying, or say Google Translate, et cetera, could put a team on this thing and, and up the ante a little bit and push them out of the market. They've been a little bit of a roll-up trade. They've been sort of acquiring other businesses, relatively cheap sort of valuations, but um, but to, to acquire clients uh, and they're still not really profitable. So as far as roll-up trades go, mm. they're really, um, they're, they're roll-up trades overall. Um, and you've got to ask the question why management can't go out and get that business themselves. Um, if their product's so superior, uh, it's got one of the lowest macro scores um, out of ten at one point seven um, from our from our analysts overall. Um, it's definitely an avoid for me. Okay, um, Luke, do you agree? Yeah, look, this is one I used to own and and, and sold, and, and probably Mark touched on the main reason why, which is. Um, you know, very acquisitive, and, and my original view was that that would come through into organic growth at some point, and particularly with margins. And to be fair to management, you've had a little bit of it, but certainly not as much as what you'd want to see for the, the valuation you're paying for this business. Um, you know, if you strip out the acquisitions, which you have to do manually, they don't actually give you great colour on... Um, you know, their financial reporting of the different acquisitions they've made. But when I run the mass, it's sort of high single digit, low double digit organic revenue growth, a bit of margin expansion at the gross level, which is interesting. You like to see that. Um, but when I went and looked at the last presentation, admittedly, I hadn't, I hadn't looked for a few months after I'd sort of moved on, um, a big ramp up in the operational cost of this business. And it went from pretty close to break even to now, you know, five, six million dollar loss. And that's sort of not what you want to see in this environment. Um, market sort of punched it on the back of that. Um, the acquisition the other day was interesting. The one thing yeah, I did note is they stuck to their original $50 million revenue target, um, even though they've made this acquisition, which will contribute about one and a half to maybe two mil revenue in the final quarter. So next time they report, just double check that revenue target. If it stays mm -hmm. at 50 mil, it probably means they've come in short of what they originally expected to do and had to top it up with an acquisition. If they do upgrade it to sort of 51 and a half, 52, then, then you know, it means they're roughly on track. So if someone holds it, keep an eye on it. Um, look, I would probably say hold, to be honest. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't sell it today, but I definitely wouldn't be rushing out to buy it. I definitely need to see more execution at a margin level that you're seeing this growth, the acquisitive growth in particular, come through yep. in profits. Okay. All right. So an avoid from Mark. A hold um, from Luca, though he did sell it earlier all right let's get into whiskey yeah, maybe a little earlier in the day early in the day for it but nonetheless uh, we're going to talk about lark distilling nick wanting to know about this it is premium whiskey producer uh in australia has seen significant growth since its uh inception and uh i think over the past year it's uh, up more than 200 percent in fact uh, stock wise uh did recently also acquire a distillery just north of hobart um, looking at essentially its maturity profile of its whiskey. Um, Luke, what do you think of whiskey in particular? Lark. Yeah, look, I like Lark. Um, as you said, it's been a very good performer. Um, sort of drifted sideways now for the better part of maybe six odd months, but it, it had a very strong run prior to that. Um, and, and now I think the fundamentals are maybe backfilling that share price run that you had earlier last year. Um, look, the, the, it, it looks expensive on traditional metrics. So, so last year, about 1.3 million million reported operating profit, and, and you're talking a market cap of you know nearly 380 million dollars. So, it looks really expensive if you were to look at profit metrics. But it's it, it probably undersells this business because. Um, you know, as a whiskey business, these guys have assets that mature in barrels for, for many, many years. And so it's it's much better to view this business on the asset value of the whiskey they have under maturation. And the management team's done a fantastic job of growing that, um, not just by physically, um, you know, having more whiskey under maturation, more leaders, um, and also acquiring wealth. But because they're doing a good job of growing that Lark brand, it means that the value of that whiskey in the barrels appreciates over time because you know they're managing to achieve higher and higher average sale prices um, through that brand growth and, and that focus on luxury. So yeah, they've done a fantastic job, this management team. Um, mm -hmm. I went and looked at their last Prezo. Um, they're very focused with their, their plan moving forward. I think it's like a 12 point plan of, of what they want to achieve over the next few years. So um, very clear with what they need to do, what they want to do. Uh, it's probably not cheap right now. Um, 
you know, you're paying more than the, the, the current sort of whiskey under maturation valuation. There's a premium there. Um, but I would still say it's a buy. Um, and, and the main reason why is um, this is a stock that will be well and truly an M&A target at some point. Um, the, the luxury consumer goods brands like a Diageo, a Pernod Ricard, a um, Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy, those guys will look at something like a Lark at some point. Most likely as it crosses into that maybe $1 billion, um, sort of total value of the whiskey under maturation. And right yep. now it's at about sort of 200, high, okay. high 200. So um, I think it's still a buy, very interesting business and, and extremely well run. Can't fault management team for that. All right, I should note it is currently in the portfolio. So as far as uh, Luke is concerned, it's staying there. Let's see what Mark has to say. Well, we could be doubling down. I think it's a buy as well. So um, it, uh, no, look, it, it, they've done a great job management um, over time. The acquisition's really quite positive. Um, it almost sort of triples their, uh, you know, their, their leaderage. It's about to, it goes up to about 1.6 million litres from about 550 so um, they've sort of the acquisition as well because they've, they've done well with their branding is um, really may, means that they you know what they've acquired they uh, they can sell it at, at, a, at a better premium so just re- realistically just by putting a, a new label on it overall so and Tasmania has sort of you know really come on the map as far as whiskey um, I think it's Sullivan's Cove won the global award in 2019 uh, the single oak um, whiskey. Uh, they've got gin as well. Um, the gin market is, is dramatically expanding um, globally um, overall. So um, yeah, look, I, I think it's it's a solid business. And, I, and I, mm. as I said, it, as Luke said, it does seem mildly expensive at the moment. But I think um, I think this company will want to be looking at what they're going to forward rather than. Uh, overall there's, there's a big shift in drinking habits as well um, not only in Australia but so uh, whilst people particularly in lockdown have been drinking more yeah um, the likes of, um, of spirits are basically or they think about up, up about four or five percent um, in terms of drinking okay. or, um, or trends so pretty much in line I, I pretty much call it a buy as well Yep. Okay. Double buy. It's already in the portfolio. That's where it stays. Just reinforces that call. All right. From whiskey to oil. uh, Our next one is Cooper Energy. And uh, in fact, Mark, you were just talking about uh, not a bad place to be in an inflationary environment. Um, And in fact, from the company, Cooper's saying supply deficits in Australia's southeast uh, should support gas prices over the medium term. it has a portfolio of conventional gas assets uh, leveraged to this theme. Um, in fact, Bell Potter has named it as a share to buy this year. Um, thought it did have a bit of uh, oil there, but it is mainly gas. Um, Mark, how are you looking at Cooper Energy? Like I said, I like the sector. Um, these guys should benefit. I think it's big, it, there's apparently pretty uh, tight supply uh, in the East Coast gas uh, market at the moment. Um, they should generally benefit from that overall. Um, it's not, there's nothing wrong with the company. Um, it's got a macro score around sort of 5.86 mark. Um, they've had a little bit of, they've had a few issues with plants, um, et cetera, which the, the management um, reassures us that they've, they've primarily solved now. So um, I look, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I, I'm probably more of a hold. I think there's probably better alternatives within the sector. For instance, obviously, Woodside, not like for like, but um, say Santos um, has done quite well. And now it's obviously got those oil assets and oil search as well. So, um, but yeah, look, if, if you're holding it, I, I think it's, um, I, I think you keep holding it, but uh, I wouldn't necessarily be rushing out to buy it at the moment. Um, but I think you'll, um, but I think overall those, that energy sector will do um, fairly well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Luke, obviously, yeah, uh, Mark's outlined the, the benefits to the energy sector at, in the current environment. What are your thoughts? Yeah, look, from a, from a sector point of view, I probably agree. Look, look at the gas market. It looks pretty tight. Um, and it, the, the industry, the tailwinds behind it look okay for the, the players in that space. For Cooper in particular, the biggest issue these guys have, I actually um, uh, you know, used to own these guys many years ago. Um, and followed the story closely and the mark touched on it there they had some issues at the orbost gas plant which is owned by apa and this was a plant that was supposed to do 68 terajoules a day of processing um, essentially just 
Cooper's um, gas. And they've just never been able, they've had issues along the time, never been able to just hit that nameplate um, capacity. And, and last time I looked, they managed to get it up to, it's actually at this morning, managed to get it up to 44 terajoules a day. So still well below that 68 they originally thought they could do. And unfortunately for Cooper, you know, they've entered into some long-term supply arrangements with um, some, some industries and heavy users um, on the on the basis of eventually hitting that 68 terajoules. So there've always been question marks over how that works with compensation because it does appear to be an APA issue rather than a Cooper issue. Um, APA potentially looking at M&A around that all boss plan as well. So there's a few things in the air. And so I probably agree with Mark. I don't hate the, the gas space in general. I think there's some interesting plays there. Um, but I wouldn't look to do it through Cooper. Um, if you are there, you know, you've written it down a fair way and it does look like those operational issues are maybe not completely solved, but at least on the path to being solved. So you probably hold it from here. But if you were someone new looking at that gas space, I'd, I'd look at a few other names first. Okay, all right, for others, that's what Mark was saying as well. Perhaps Santos from his point of view. Mm. All right, let's move to Murray Cod Australia. Dan wanting to know about this uh, producers pond grown cod in the Riverina in New South Wales. Um, and importantly, I guess you know there's a lot of criticism for an environmentalist just about these sort of industries. Uh, this, it has one of the lowest footprints in that regard. Did recently embark on a capital raise. Um, Luke, of course, one of these companies that's pretty much at the mercy of nature. Yeah, and it's the, the big issue I have with them. Um, I, I've never actually looked too closely at it before. Um, so, so these guys are harvesting the, the, the Murray cod, which is a, a type of fish, and they're trying to um, position that, that fish as sort of a luxury good and, and, and really drive the, um, the price per kilo they can achieve. So right now, I think they're getting about 19. They're looking to get them up to 25 over time. And that's simply just by the perception in the market of the quality of it and, and utilising more of the fish itself. There's a few ways they're looking to do it. But it looks interesting. A couple of issues I always have with these types of businesses are, one, you just outlined it, Andrew, just the, the aquaculture risk you take, um, you know, because of the, the, the way these things are done. Um, they do run different pools and, and different tanks. So you can you may be able to localise, um, you know, disease and issues you may have. But... Um, nonetheless, you're always at the mercy of, of nature and something like that happening. Um, and the second one, they're just they're so capital intensive. So um, Murray Cod were pointing out that, that currently they've got about forty-five million dollars worth of gross profit in the you know in the pools of, of fish that are that are growing right now. A two to three year harvest period means that forty-five million dollar gross profit will come through the business in the next two or three years. But of course. They need to continually replenish. And so as investors, you very rarely see strong levels of free cash flow come through because they're continually building capex to build new pools and plants, but also then to, to populate them with fish. So it looks relatively interesting at 220 mil. Um, you know, if you take that 45 mil gross profit, put in some operating costs and, you know, of course, you've got to pay a bit of tax. You're probably paying about 10 times earnings for, for what's in the water right now, but it's that replacement cost that always gets me with these guys. I would hold it if you're there again. Um, you know, I'm on that hold theme right now, but I'd, I'd say another hold. As long as you understand that aquaculture risk, there's also plenty of M&A in the space right now. Um, you know, you've had a few of the salmon guys and, and some of the other aquaculture guys uh, have approaches, so there's po possibly a bit of that in the price. So continue to hold, but um, yeah, it's mm. just not one that ever I really love to come into these sorts of names. Okay. Uh, Mark, and I should point out this is currently in the portfolio. Luke's got a hold on it. It comes down to your call. Uh, look, I'd probably like it a little bit more than Luke. I, I wouldn't call it a buy necessarily. I'm probably still uh, along the hold lines. Um, obviously, the, the, the aquaculture industry particularly, uh, I mean, you know, there's risk there, but the freshwater is, you know, a hell of a lot less. Less risk than the, um, than the offshore stuff um, and the salmon, etc. So, um this look and they've done a huge amount of their capex uh, it was pretty much largely behind them really overall um they did it they did a good deal uh with woolworths um so they're sort of getting into some of their premium Woolworths stores uh trying to build that brand there so that'll help them get up to that 25 dollar mark that, that uh, luke was talking about before um overall it uh Look, it, it's it's in a sector that you know if we do have some rocky times this year, um, like it's it's as sort of Luke um, calculated that that PE is roughly or that profitability is roughly around ten, um, which is not not exceedingly uh, you know um, 
exceedingly high. So, you know, that, that, cons that consumer staple sector should should stay relatively well bid overall. Mm. Um, I look, and they're, they're fairly um, healthy. You are at the mercy of, um, uh, you know, of the elements, but um, look, we've got a strong buy in this. It, it's a pre pretty in line with the, um, with other analysts in the market. So uh, the target prices around the sort of 51, uh, 51 market. It's got a it's got a macro score of about eight for us, which is really quite high. So um, I think uh, I think this one could do quite well overall. Um, it's a it's a hold bordering on a buy for me realistically. Um, I just think uh, overall, it's a, I'm I'm a little bit wary of market yep. weakness at the moment, just generally. So it's not something. It's after after having a good run last year. It's not something that. Um, Something I might look to pick up on a, on, on a, in any sort of pullback. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, that does mean it does stay in the portfolio there. All right. Let's uh, move on to Medipank Private. Samira wanted to know about this. Of course, it is Australia's leading health insurance provider. Uh, share price I think it was up about 20% in the past year, in fact. Um, now, of course, in this space also, a lot of them had to hold off on their premium increases given what went on in the pandemic. Um, that was a drag, clearly. I think that was for about five months, in fact, uh, that that went on for. Mark, Medibank Private, your thoughts? It's not something generally um, I, I tend to look at. Um, I think, look, insurance should do better in a rising interest rate environment. Um, I get getting a little bit... A little bit more for their pre, you know, for their premiums that they're storing overall, um, as, as most insurers will. But um, I, that's the with an aging population, um, and it's, it's got an above sector PE as well. Um, I think probably prefer NIB in this space, um, but but overall, it's not um, it's not really a subsector of insurance that we're we're really sort of um, flocking. Um, nothing wrong with the business um, at all. Um, it's got a, got a reasonable dividend yield. It'll be relatively defensive, I suppose. But um, see, with the government, with the government holding down your pricing power, um, I think a lot of these healthcare healthcare providers, um, I think HEF and, and Bupa particularly, are um, really getting quite heavy into consolidating those sort of medical centres and care and things like that. Um, I think that's probably where you'll probably the, the you know, there'll be a little bit more growth and profitability. Um, uh, Medibank, no, probably, yeah, it, it, it's a hold, I suppose. Um, and I think I'd probably be looking, you know, elsewhere within the insurance sector, yep. maybe for better return. Okay. All right, Luke. Yeah, look, I agree with Mark. It's just not the sort of stock that I like. Um, you know, a big behemoth. It's low growth. It's so heavily regulated. So you, you're never you're never going to see growth. They're not allowed to grow effectively. The government obviously caps their premium increases, and the uh, the latest increase was the smallest um, increase they've had for over 20 years. So. Um, look, you can you grow slowly, and if you've got a good management team, you can obviously focus on costs and see some margin expansion. Um, the bigger issue I've got with the space is, um, you know, health insurance is one where where younger, healthier people effectively subsidise older, you know, more prone to being sick um, people, and that ongoing trend of young people just shying away from from private health insurance has, has continued, um, and I think was only exacerbated through COVID. Um, Mark's right, NIB, you definitely pay more for it. They do a much better job of attracting that younger cohort, um, you know, primarily through their marketing and, and different things they do. Medibank, about 3.5% yield, 20 times earnings. It prob it won't go backwards. You know, it's, it's the sort of business, like I said, that big behemoth. It's not going to go anywhere. So if you're a real dividend-focused investor or you're really, uh, really conservative, I suppose, it's maybe something you'd look at. But... But definitely not for me. Yeah, like mm. for anyone who's after growth or, or you know, just a, a modicum of that, you'd sell it. If you're someone who's a dividend or just really conservative, you could probably hold. Okay, a uh, hold, perhaps a sell, depending on where you're at. Uh, okay, thanks, Luke. Let's summarise our five summarize. stocks plus our stock of the day. Uh, we began with BHP, and of course, it's uh, just as far as it's. Uh, listing is concerned consolidating certainly on the asx as far as its weighting is concerned um also got the merger of its uh oil and gas assets with 
Woodside, uh, Luke's saying that's a good deal for Woodside. The merger makes sense. So he's got a hold on it. And uh, Mark also has a hold on it. Uh, and he's sort of seeing uh, perhaps potential there to buy any dip. It's in the portfolio. That's where it stays. All right, our first stock as picked by you, Straker Translations. In that translation space, Mark saying, look, stiff competition, particularly from the bigger players. They could simply just walk in there. He's got an avoid. Uh, Luke has a hold. He, in fact, sold it earlier. Lark Distilling, and that is all about premium whiskey. It is in the portfolio. It's staying there because both have a buy on it, even though Luke's saying it looks a little expensive, but it is impressive and a potential M&A target. <coughs> Excuse me. Cooper Energy, primarily uh, gas, um, and uh, Mark saying, well, it should benefit uh, energy in general in an inflationary environment. He's got a hold on it, but he prefers Santos. Luke saying, uh, yeah, he prefers others also in that space. He also has a hold on it. Uh, Murray Cod Australia producing um, Cod Grind in the Riverina. Uh, It is in the portfolio. It stays there. Uh, Luke saying, look, there are those risks with aquaculture, you know, being at the mercy of nature, obviously. Um, But Mark's saying, look, CapEx is behind them. Uh, they've got their offtake agreement with Woolies. That's certainly a positive. Mark has a hold with a potential buy on that stock. And finally, their Medibank Private. Um, look, Mark's saying insurance, that's going to do well also in a rising uh, in inflationary environment. Uh, but um, look, he prefers perhaps NIB. Luke pointing out, look, low growth, heavily regulated. He's got a hold, but perhaps somewhat reluctantly. All right. Let's uh, keep going. And our sixth stock is Cash Rewards. Uh, Greg wanting to know about this. Some 330,000 members, around 3.5 million transactions. ANZ likes it. Uh, in fact, it's uh, Innovation and Venture Capital Partner uh, 1835i set to complete the acquisition of it uh, after taking more than 90% stake in the company. Um, so, Luke, do you like it? Cash rewards, what sort of reward is there for investors? Well, they've, they've had their reward. I mean, look, I, I, I don't like it in short. And I think anyone who is a shareholder of cash rewards should pen you know, Shane Elliott a, a thank you letter because this was a business. I, I don't think this business was ever going to make a profit if you, if you looked at um, the, the limited financials it released to the market in its shortlisted life. Um, you know, the idea of heavy cash burning businesses is if you've got a strong moat um, and you know a, a strong gross profit margin at the top level you can you can sustain heavy operating loss knowing that you'll you'll recoup those losses back um, as, as those users stay on your platform or, or, or you know continue to use your service cash rewards didn't have that it was burning heavy losses but the churn was still high you constantly had to um, acquire those customers back I think 1835i has given you the bailout, take it and run. Um, it, it's almost certain to go through now. Um, so um, I, I, probably not much point of a buy, hold, sell, but if we were, I would have said sell. I, I think this is a um, yeah. it was a business that would uh, probably never have turned a profit in its life. Yeah, probably a bit of a, a moot point now, but uh, Mark, your thoughts? Um, I don't like the business at all. Um, it, it, that cash burn is huge. They've, in the very short lifetime, they had two cap raises. It pretty much is a, it's a very good lesson in red flags. Um, for investors out there, if, uh, if you're involved in a company that's um, got similar stats or behaves like this, um, just get out. Um, and and that space really, um, I, think you just need, I think you need to have, and, uh, to, um, you know, to just, it's the cash rewards part, realistically, like even um, is, is my, I mean, not a lot of people know, but like Raise Invest has, you know, 100 plus partners on, uh, on their rewards. Um, it's all about sort of steering customers and, um, and lead acquisition, really. So, mm. it, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, as you said, a moot point, but it, um, I, I agree with Luke. I'd be sending a thank you note in with um, the acceptance of your uh, <laughs> the share offer. Okay, all right. That's a double sell. Uh, we're in no doubt about what our two experts think of cash rewards. Monodelphus Group, and Caleb wanting to know about this. It is the engineering company uh, has struggled um, given skills shortages, um, 
wage inflation, of course, which may yet to really take effect. And uh, we've also seen it fall out of the ASX 200. Mark, Monodelphus. Um, obviously, this is we're getting towards the end. Um, Omicron's largely going to teach us to, to live with, uh, with COVID overall. Um, in, it's in my opinion. Um, we've got WA restrictions of sort of, they're set to end around February 5. Um, I, they, Labor over there was voted in on the lockdown, similar to Queensland sort of scenario. So they could they could continue to be, uh, but I think um, in the end, is out is, is, you know, people need their jobs and they need to be making money. I, I don't think they can, they can sustain another another year of just being being locked down and not being able to get um, you know, fly and fly out workers in there. So, Monodelphus um, is sort of it's you know best in class really. Um, it, it, it's of a large scale. Uh, it's got relationships with all the big um, with all the big miners, um, uh, just about all the big miners. So look, I'm going to say. The, you know the numbers don't look great at the moment just because of the lockdowns etc um we are going to have layers and the, the, the problem should ease overall um it's had a couple of guys below us here in the nine you know that 980 mark um or nine or 950 no, no, 980 mark so I, I think if it was going to fall through it would have by now so i'm I, I don't mind this going forward it's a, it's probably a decent reopening trade um Commodity prices are still really, you know, really quite high, and I, I think one of these big, you know, these bigger um, engineering and mining services um, providers is they're, they're probably going to have everything in place a lot quicker mm. than the smaller guys um, potentially, and it might be a lot easier for them to attract talent um, to the bigger company because I guess those those FIFO workers are going to want stability after a really unstable period with their. Um, with their job security, so you probably want to be going with um, I think we've uh, we've uh, lot. Sorry, we lost you there for a, a moment, Mark. We'll see if you uh, you're still with us. Yeah, yeah, yep. Are you there? Yep, yep. Okay. Um, yeah, look, I, I don't mind it overall. I think um, okay. the the bigger scale is going to help them um, attract talent and. Um, and they are, they've traditionally done a fairly good job overall. I think most analysts have got a decent buy on it. Um, I, yeah, it makes it very hard on the previous numbers to, um, you know, to, it, it, it is a bit speculative in, mm. in terms of whether this is going to recover because we've had a few false starts. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I call it a buy with, you know, this stop around the $8 mark. Okay. Maybe a speculative buy, but you've got a buy on it. So that's interesting. Luke, yep. your thoughts? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm pretty negative on the space as a whole, um, being sort of fixed price contractors or, or service companies. I think it'll be a very, very difficult time for these businesses because you're dealing with some pretty severe um, input price inflation, be that um, supply chain logistics issues, um, Monodelphus and, and others are calling out wage price pressures. There's a, there's a lot of things to manage and you need to be a really good business to manage your way through it. Now, I think Mark's right. I'd, I'd call Monodelphus probably best in class. Um, pristine balance sheet too, which is important because if you are going to have issues with maybe cost overruns on projects and things like that, the last thing you want is, is a balance sheet that doesn't offer you flexibility because you only have to think back to an RCR Tomlinson or a Deckmill group of, of the blow-ups you can have with these fixed-price contractors if they um, you know, are unable to, to stop the spiral of, um, of the input prices moving higher. Um, it does look optically expensive on 20 times earnings. They've sort of forecast FY22 to be slightly down FY21 as well. Big exposure to wine, ore and oil and gas. I think generally those sectors in, where they are in their CapEx cycle should be supportive for Monodelphus. Um, I just, to be honest, I, I struggle to, to, to hold it just coming into the environment we're about to. Um, I think, like I said before, you need to be an exceptionally good business to, to, to navigate a time like this. Um, and Monodelphus may be that. So to, I'm actually probably talking myself into a hold the more I think it through. Uh, but I definitely wouldn't step in and buy just until you start to see some commentary from the business that some of those mm. headwinds and issues are starting to abate. Okay, that's Monodelphus group. Luke, let's uh, move on to Viva Leisure. Oliver wanted to know about this. It's about fitness management. Of course, um, 
this is one of those areas that has taken off uh, certainly during the pandemic as people have uh, well, started being, uh, well, looking after themselves, I guess, nothing better to do. Uh, it recently acquired eight rebalanced Pilates and yoga studios uh, in Australia. Yeah, Luke, interested to see what you think of Viva Leisure then. Yeah, these guys, you know, manage a bunch of bunch of gyms around the country, franchise um, some of them out as well. Obviously, very COVID impacted um, as lockdowns. You know, they they were locations that were forced to close in, in certain states, depending on what sort of level of lockdowns we were in. Um, but I think it's a good, genuine reopening play. And the reason why I would like something like this over your more obvious travel names is is these guys have already proven that the the rebound in their reopening can happen quite rapidly. So. If you go back to earlier in 2021, when there was limited restrictions around the whole country, they were run rating about eight mil revenue a month. Um, that fell, you know, to, to you know, below three, I think, at one point when New South Wales and Victoria were at the peak of their lockdowns, um, but bounced back very quickly to, to I think, six mil um, by October. So, you know, people do get back to gyms and, and, and things like that very quickly once restrictions ease. It's not like travel where I think people have been a bit more hesitant to come back. So. If you look at sort of that run rate I said before, eight mil a month, um, and the the profit margins they were doing prior to COVID, I think this trades on about eight times EBITDA. Um, you know, when when we're able to get back to, to um, no restrictions, which maybe question marks over exactly when that will be, but I sort of agree with Mark's point when he was talking about Monodelphus. I think we're probably through the worst of, of Omicron now. We're learning to live with it in a sense. Um, so, you know, if I'm paying eight times earnings, I actually think it's a, a pretty good a pretty good idea as part of that reopening trade. So I would have Viva as a buy. All right. That's interesting. Um, Mark, do you agree with that? Look, I, I, I don't mind the company overall. Um, it, you know, it, uh, it obviously is a, it is a, a trade. Um, they've done fairly well to, uh, you know, to survive over this period really um, I guess the scale helps them there um, it, I think people will from a social perspective want to get back to the gym um, and sort of get out there and there's only so much you know home equipment you can buy etc so there might be a bit of a shift out of that uh, the names like rebel sport and things well um, over the period so probably want, want a bit of a change up from uh, from exercising at home etc um, Look, they couldn't possibly have had a worse, um, you know, worse period over the last couple of years, and they've, they've managed to hang in there. So, um, yeah, I'd say it's a, I'd say it's a speculative buy overall. Um, it, I think, uh, but obviously it just depends. You, you know, I think we're going to be through the, most of the COVID issues, you know, generally, and then we'll, it'll be a space of learning to live with it. But um, you know, your risk is that. If we get a strain off Delta, um, which obviously is the, the far more fatal um, strain, then you know how long can this company last realistically? Um, because I think um, leaps and all that sort of thing, it, it, it sort of gets to a point where you know you so many times. So um, so yeah, look, if if the reopening goes well, I, I'm happy to buy it. Interesting, a double buy, Viva Leisure. That means it is going into the portfolio. Okay, our next stock is Points Bets. Uh, now it is aiming to launch in New York later this month. Also announced a deal to become the exclusive sports betting partner of the NHL Alumni Association in Canada. Also official partner of the association in the US. Sol wanting to know this about this. Um, he's, he says my holding is down almost forty percent, and I'm wondering should I cut my losses? or not? Mark? Uh, look, yeah, it, it did get some, to some pretty lofty prices. The whole sector overall has been pretty beaten up. Um, names like uh, uh, Betmakers, etc. as well, they've, they've been hit quite hard. It's a really saturated space. Uh, do, they're consistently getting licences, Virginia, etc. Um, as well. Um, they've got a pretty decent marketing campaign, but they've I think there's 170 operators plus in Australia, um, and there's a pretty low barrier to entry overall. I think at, at some stage you'll probably see maybe a bit of consolidation as people drop off. Um, I don't think you probably need the risk right now overall. It, it is trending down. Um, if, if it manages to come out in the clear and starts it starts to make really good money and take advantage of that, you, the large US market with um, gambling being legalised over there, 
I think you'll have your opportunity to buy back in um, and when, it, when it sort of bottoms out. And look, if you had a cap raise, uh, I was sort of around that uh, 8 to $10 mark, I think. Um, and once it slips through there, it, it's been really hard going ever since. Um, I don't, I, yeah, personally, I, I don't think you really need the risk in that sort of risk in your portfolio at the moment. There's plenty uh, of other solid sectors around. I, I don't, I think the long term um, points bet could come out. And, and make good money, um, but I think we're, we're we're a while away from that at the moment, and um, I don't think it's a year for uh, you know to be put um, on hope of growth. I think you need to be more so focusing on um, you know investments with with proven track records because yep. I think that companies like this are probably going to be the most vulnerable over the next twelve months. So. Um, yeah, look, it's a it's a sell probably for me, and then a and a and a rip. All right, just lost you there a little bit. Obviously, you're saying to uh, revisit it once it sort of bottoms out. Luke, your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with Mark's last comment there that this is the sort of business that in the current market is, is set to struggle. I mean, it's substantially burning cash. At the first quarter run rate, close to $100 million a year is, is um, just unbelievable. Immediately, they've got a lot in the bank, got $600 million in the bank, so they've got a good runway there, but the market's not looking favourably on businesses like this right now. The real issue they've got, though, and the reason why the chart looks like it does is um, you know, for, for what they're spending, um, they're reporting good absolute growth in the sense of their numbers look okay. But you have to remember they're in a very rapidly growing industry over there in the US and their share of the US betting um, actually took a pretty sharp fall in their first quarter numbers compared to what they were in the fourth quarter, uh, particularly in the New Jersey market, which New York has now legalized. But prior to that, New Jersey was a funnel for, for New York betting. So it was you know seen as the, as the large market to try and win. And their share in New Jersey fell from, um, you know, 7.8% to 3.9. So that's the issue that PointsBet has is, is they're spending a lot for growth, but they're, they're falling backwards against some of those peers that are um, more well capitalized and larger than they are over in the US. So this is a sell for me. Like I, I can't comment on Sol directly, what he should mm. do with his shares. Um, but but as, as an idea, like PointsBet's just an obvious sell. I think it's a commodity business and you're dealing with, as Mark said, hundreds of competitors, some of them much more well capitalized than you are. Yep. Um, and smaller guys can just pop up overnight, um, you know, now using some off the shelf software products. So definitely not for me. All right. So don't bet on points bet. It's a double sell from our experts. Finally, we're looking at ARB Corporation. Uh, Terry wanted to know about this. It is uh, the four wheel drive accessories company benefited during the pandemic as Aussies hit the road, wanted to go bush. Uh, interestingly, though, Credit Suisse saying that its uh, pandemic margins aren't going to hold up in coming years. Luke, do you agree? I think you have to, Andrew. I mean, it's been a while since I've looked at ARB and um, went back and looked at their AGM Prezo and they provide the, um, the, the charts to go back 10 years of their financial revenue and profits. And this is a business, I, I jotted down the numbers, their, their compound revenue growth over the last 10 years was 7.4% and their profit growth was 58 In FY21, that exploded to 34% revenue growth and 97% profit growth. So, you know, it's, you can't argue anything other than a massive pull forward of demand as, as you know, borders were closed and, and all of that travel expense that would normally be shifted overseas or to other places was forced into um, retail, consumer discretionary and domestic travel and, and ARB benefited massively from that. So that will unwind at some point. Look, the AGM, their commentary was still positive for first half 22. They, they think they'll still show growth over first half 21, which is impressive because first half 21 was a strong result in and of itself. Um, but I haven't read the Credit Suisse note, I must admit, but at a concept level, I, I agree with that, that headline that those margins have to come down and, and, and the rates of growth, if not the absolute levels of, of growth, it may even fall to a decline in, in FY22. Um, it's a brilliant business and the strategy of, of buying the dips on, on brilliant businesses has been a winning one for, for you know better part of a decade. I hesitate to say we're, we're changing that market dynamic, which both Mark and I have touched on a few times as we enter the Fed in the US pulling back and rates rising. I don't know if now's the time to be buying dips. And, and I think you can actually sell ARB today and, and come back, um, you know, at some later point in time if it's one you want to own. So mm. I, I, would, I would, despite being a great business, I would actually say sell. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, Mark, your thoughts then? Be, um, even though it's had a, bit, a fair bit of a decline the last few days, um, 
overall, they're, they're not going to be able to maintain those margins as, as the supply chain issues sort of subside for, you're waiting up to six to nine months for a Hilux, say for instance, um, or, you know, four odd months for uh, for Ford Ranger. Um, my father's on a farm, so he, he, that ended up actually making his decision on which car he was going to buy. But I think uh, their ability to increase the margin there was because if you're not upgrading your existing car or, or a used car, but um, but I think a lot of these things now will you'll basically be there'll be options when uh, when the new car when the new car market sort of starts to pick up again, and I think that'll start they'll have to start bringing down their prices. Um, you know, overall, it's been an incredible run. It is a well-run business. Um, and look, I think you just, I, I think you take your money at the moment. Um, it, it, uh, it, it's gone, it's gone absolute gangbusters overall. And um, then it just, a business gets to a certain point where you've had a good run and, and it's just time to take profit overall. I, I really can't see, um, I really can't see this company getting anywhere near the, uh, air price growth that it's had in the last 12 months, that's for sure. Yep. Right. Um, and I think there's much better places for dividends. Okay, all right, that's a double sell then on ARB Corporation. That rounds it out. Let's uh, just summarise where we've been for the second half of the show. We began with cash rewards there. Luke's saying, look, this is never going to make a profit. Um, yeah, it's just burning cash. He's got to sell on it. Likewise, from Mark, he doesn't like it. He says he's got a red flag all over it. Uh, but um, Monodelphus Group, that was our next one. Uh, Mark's saying, yeah, look, it, given it's an engineering company in terms of skilled workers and the like, it has been hurt, particularly in WA, with those restrictions, although he says it's best in class. He's got, sort of got a speculative buy on it. Uh, Luke has a hold. He's generally negative in that space, and he says it also looks a bit expensive. Viva Leisure. Uh, it goes into our portfolio. It's a double buy from our experts. So Luke's saying strong reopening play there. Mark uh, pointing out has been hurt by COVID, but it is uh, all about fitness management. He's seeing good opportunity there. And uh, then to points bet, it's expansion into the States. Mark's saying, look, um, not making money, an opportunity to buy back in once it bottoms out, but it's risky. He's got to sell on it. Likewise for Luke saying it's set to struggle burning cash. So no, not looking at it, sell it. And ARB also a double sell from our experts. Uh, Luke pointing out the best of it, best is behind it. Uh, given the pull forward of that demand, Mark saying they simply can't maintain their margins. That is ARB Corporation. All right, well, that is uh, the 10 stocks plus our stock of the day. Thanks to our experts, Mark Gardner from Macro Capital and uh, Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital. Guys, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Andrew. All right. And any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email. Call at ausbiz.com.au or tweet us at ausbiztv. And a reminder where to find those stocks. We have in the calls portfolio. You can head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.